Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in for the first week of August 2020. I'm out on a camping trip right now. I'm uh, deep in the middle of the Fremont National Forest where I've been driving around for a good part of the day. And it's not it's not really high desert out here. I think it's still uh, mostly like smaller pine trees. And then I think just a little bit further east, if I were to drive, is where you would start to drop into the area that would be like the Great Basin. I think that area that was the Inland Sea back during the Pleistocene period before the end of the last Ice Age. And that's where you get like out into eastern Oregon and then out into Nevada, too. I think it's it's like just a little east of Bend, Oregon, and and then south from there into Nevada and parts of Utah. I think it's like a, a real big, uh, like high desert area that I think was mostly created from uh, like an inland sea or, you know, that's what I think what they talk about the Great Basin area when you look on those those maps and it, it kind of has those, uh, those far northern regions that are up into the Ochico Mountains, I'm pretty sure, or somewhere around there. But I think it's uh, pretty cool being out here. I was able to find a, like an old, or at least it's on the map, is like a Forest Service cabin. I don't think it was really in use by the Forest Services. It's not like a base, or it's not like a place where they have resources or trucks. It's just like a, an old, an old built homestead almost is what it looks like out here. And it's got, to, but I think it's kind of semi managed and sort of protected by the National Forest Service out here. Um, the road's pretty good to get into it, and then it it opens up into a big meadow that's probably, I don't know, six or seven acres. Or so, and then there's like a, a big fencing around it, made out of uh, the the small like uh, log pines that they dropped, and then they'd put together these like uh, A frames, and then stack together logs on that to make these big fences that kind of stretch around the property of the house. I guess to not have it, I don't know, trampled or whatever by uh, by whatever's out here. I think when I was walking around, I saw that there's there seems to be like some open range cattle that shares the land out here. As I was walking around, I could see some sign of it. And then I could also see, and this is where I'm not really too, too good at, um, at following like what I'm seeing. I'm not sure if it's like, uh, like mule deer that are out here or if it's, if it's elk that are out here. I know the mule deer are out here, but I'm not sure if, uh, if what I was seeing was from an elk or not. It seemed like it would be, uh, elk, but, uh, I'm not really sure. It's kind of cool, though. It's cool being out here in this area. I spent a good part of the day getting down here. I've been trying to do a camping trip of some sort each week here through the summer, and that's really kind of been really only one of the few things that have been, um, I don't know, stress-relieving. Anybody else uh, stressed this year? 2020. Man, what a good time. It's uh, It's been a long couple of months, it seems like, and it seems like a lot of changes and a lot of shifts and stuff for uh, a lot of people, myself included, and, and just kind of the way that things go and the way that uh, you're able to kind of plan for the future and the way you're able to uh, sort of deal and, and figure stuff out. And yeah, it's been kind of depressing too, just sort of the, the change up. And, and really, I think psychologically, the more draining thing is the the lack of assurance that it's sorting out or that any of these milestones that are out here for what we're dealing with are uh, are stable milestones. You know, it seems like they, they kind of keep moving out further and further away from us. I remember back in early, what was it, like mid-March, March 15th, when we had uh, the guidelines for America come out, said we were going to be locked down for two weeks, a 15-day period. We were going to get a stimulus check, and then it could last. It could last with an effect as long into July or August. I remember hearing in that part. Now we're here in August, 
seems like it's uh, still on us. Seems like it's like one of the longest periods. That, uh, I mean, of course, it's obvious what I'm saying now, but it's just the longest period in, in history that I think uh, anything like this has ever occurred in this kind of uh, pattern. I mean, we've had other pandemics and stuff, but I think more what I'm talking about is like the social pressure that's sort of coming along with the, with this set of circumstances that we've seen over the last few months. Maybe it's part of an election year. A lot of countries go through periods of turmoil uh, before their election cycle process, but uh, but as it is, I think it's just like a lot of a lot of real factors that are um, uh, uncomfortable. So uh, part of what I've been trying to do since I have a, a pretty a pretty small or how do I say yeah it's like a pretty easy set of things that uh, that I'm up to right now. And I'd really like to expand it. I've been kind of frustrated that there, there's not really an opportunity to do a lot more stuff. You know, like any of the weddings I would have done this summer, are, they're pretty much out. Uh, any of the, the other work stuff I would have done to make some money is sort of up in the air. So a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is, uh, is sort of alternative to that, which has been really interesting. You know, it's been fine. It's not been that interesting, I guess, given just the amount of pressure that's on everything. If it was just a an open period, you know, where everybody got to kind of relearn some things and we knew when it was going to end or we knew that it was a good thing that was happening, you know, I bet everybody would have been more creative. That's sort of what I'd heard from a lot of folks uh, or, you know, like I listened to a lot of radio and a lot of podcasts and stuff. I listened to a lot of podcasts from the different comics that are out there, along with a few others. But um, but I, at the beginning of all this, they were talking about, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to write a ton. We're going to be we're going to come out of this with a whole new hour of material of jokes to write. And then a couple of months into a couple of weeks into it, they're all saying, ah, yeah, I haven't I haven't even flipped open a notebook. I haven't written anything down. I haven't done anything creative. And I think that's uh, sort of a sign I've been hearing from a lot of people that are out to try and do something semi creative or even just creatively wake up and make coffee and eggs it's like uh, it's just a drag a lot of the time and there's been a you know there's a lot of stuff that's kind of dragging people down in uh, in a number of ways so i hope everybody that does end up listening to this uh is is getting through it and understands that uh, they're, they're not alone in the in all the stuff that's going on and uh it's uh it's i don't know it's just a it's a unique year in a lot of ways so hello man i hope it's unique it's unique so far into my life so i guess i can count my blessings on that um so I'm out here, and what I've been trying to do to kind of sort out that stress and stuff is to try and get out and, and, and get to do some more uh, outdoor travel and some camping stuff while I have the, the wide opportunity to, especially through the summer. I mean, that's one of the, the activities that's not restricted is, uh, is traveling around and camping. I think I talked about that on one of those podcasts in May when we were still in the lockdown, coming up to our phase one reopening, and uh, we... Uh, we're all kind of trying to figure out what, what can we do? What can we not do? What do we do with this time now that we have, you know, we can't go to work. Um, you know, we, we kind of do some, some stuff in town, but it's like, you can only like take walks around your block so many times or take hikes at the park so many times. Um, so, uh, so I don't know, I guess since I have the background in it and since I've been doing it for a while, uh, I've, I've been trying to take advantage of getting out once a week for an overnight trip or a two night trip uh, to go to some new places in Oregon and, uh, really trying to do a lot of scouting stuff, which I've enjoyed too. Doing some scouting stuff through the summertime has been pretty cool. Uh, where I'm really trying to go through some of these back roads, I'm trying to like uh, mark spots on the map where there's good campsites, uh, which I hadn't really I've done before. You know, there's a lot of places I've driven, a lot of uh, a lot of roads I've been on, and uh, uh, especially you know like backcountry roads, two Forest Service roads, BLM roads. And I know a lot of good dispersed camping areas. And really, I understand the context of how to find those areas so much better now that I'm older than when I was young. I mean, when I was young, 
and I'd go camping with my dad. You know, we'd go out to Eastern Oregon. We'd find some spots, and they had known about those spots since you know he was a kid, and he was going over there and hunting camps and stuff with his grandpa. Um, so it's cool for me to get to go over to those same spots and get to check out that area and stuff. But I think there's been, uh, or at least when I was a kid, I didn't really understand the the land, uh, like the public land rights that you have, and and really how those are organized, like how public lands are organized and what you can do on them, and and sort of how it operates. I didn't really understand the difference between um, national forest land and BLM land, or national park land and state park land, or wilderness areas, national wildlife refuge areas. Man, there's just so many different distinctions of, of different things. And then also just private property. So I, I didn't really have a, a clear recollection of any of those things. And really a lot of time when it's public land, you can go on it, but there's some things you can't do on it, like either maybe hunt in some circumstances, uh, like a, like a national park, or... I think you can't discharge a firearm inside a national park, but for specifically permitted events, maybe probably uh, national wildlife refuges, I think those hunting opportunities are are limited also. Though you can still do some things in, in those areas. I think you have to get permitted and uh, you have to draw a tag for that location, I think is what it is. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's kind of interesting sort of learning about that, learning how these things go, and, and uh, also finally getting some maps that you can use that you can kind of trust better while you're in the back country. I think that's something that's really helped uh, me kind of understand where I can go and what I can do. And I don't, I mean, I've had those map books, you know, like that, that 50 page or hundred page book of Oregon. And, you know, every, every page is a 25 mile map of that area. It was always super useful how they kind of grid out everything and show you the, you know, the mile by mile marking and the, the topography of the area, the different little roads and stuff. But even those roads, those map makers still got things wrong. I remember too, you know, back in like, was it 2004? I think we were out in an area in southern Oregon near the Nevada border. What is it, Drew's Reservoir? Somewhere south of Gearheart Mountain. And I remember we were on some some little some little road. I don't even know if it was if it was a, a national forest area. I think it was just uh, is in between private and public lands as it kind of uh, jumps back and forth in those uh, pretty remote areas. All of it is just remote desert and forest and sagebrush and juniper um, but some of it goes into like ranch land that's more managed and some of it cuts back into blm land so it's, uh, as this little road sort of meander through it uh, but i remember being out there and, and noticing that the map on the page was just totally different than the map or than you know the real world ground truth of where the road went and i thought oh whoa yeah you can't really trust the maps to show you the information that you want to see uh, when you need it other times too you know you'll see like a, oh hey like it shows there's a road right here good deal we'll take that road well you know it shows it it's on the map so you cut down there you get on the road and then it's washed out like crazy or it's super bumpy and like uh and just a terrible ride and, but it's the same green roads the same label the same marking as the road next to it that was graded and uh and uh i don't know what it's not paved right it's it's graded gravel they put more gravel down, I think is what I'm trying to say. They've, uh, they've made it an easier going road to, to drive on. But then you get those washboard uh, sections out there. I don't know if you guys have been on that where you're driving around in the Forest Service roads and those gravel roads. And I think it's a natural process of erosion that occurs that creates these waves in the material. You know, as I think as the rainwater comes down, um, it sort of naturally over time generates these, uh, these little ripples and uh, that's the washboard effect that you get when you're driving. That's also the thing that kind of uh, kicks your car sideways when you're uh, you're going a little too fast on a gravel road. 
that's what I started doing today. I think I kicked it pretty hard side or no, you know, like uh, it, it was it was pretty loose on the traction and it was starting to tip sideways in my truck. And so I slowed down and threw it into four wheel drive after that, uh, and uh, was able to cruise around out here pretty freely. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk on this podcast about hanging out in the Fremont National Forest, and I just got finished uh, with a huge thunderstorm that came through. It just really finished uh, raining a little bit ago. Uh, it was kind of, uh, I think when I arrived here today at this meadow, it was still a few hours before sunset. So I walked around and uh, kind of went along the perimeter of the meadow. And then uh, and then I noticed that, you know, I mean, it's cloudy. Uh, it's It's been kind of cloudy today, and there's been thunderheads that have been uh, building up over the location that I've been. Ever since I, I kind of came over the pass of the Cascades, I've been in uh, like a, a pretty solid string of, uh, of thunderheads that have sort of coalesced into a uh, big mass over the Cascades. Some of it here over the, the Fremont National Forest, whatever mountains these are that I'm in. And, uh, and yeah, it seems like this section of Eastern Oregon was getting hit with a good thunder, a good summer August thunderstorm today, which was kind of fun to sit through and go through. It was cool. It, uh, I got rained on pretty hard earlier when I was driving over. And I thought I'd, I'd get out here and be a little bit more free of it, but it, it seemed like that storm kind of drifted over this way and then was sort of uh, drifting north from here. And, uh, and yeah, it was a, a new system, but man, there was just a bunch of lightning that was coming through and huge cracks of thunder, just big, deep rumbles. I haven't heard thunder like that in, in years and years, probably, you know, where it just kind of stays and like hangs and rolls for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, it seems like, you know, where you just really kind of like, whoa, is, can it really still be just cracking and rumbling and rolling? And, uh, and there was enough activity, enough lightning activity that was going on there where you, you'd hear thunder. I mean, it was almost uh, like 45 minutes there where there was just a, a crack and a roll of thunder uh, almost continuously. Like, it, it was uh, it was pretty intense. It's, it's, it's really, I think, one of the more strong lightning storms I've been in in a while. But, uh, but that's sort of how it goes out here when you're at these higher elevations. I think I'm floating around up in the uh, 5,100 feet or so above sea level. And so it just means I'm, I'm up in the mountains where these, uh, these thunderstorms get started. You know, they get their... They get their, I think that's where they they all kind of coalesce over these big mountaintops and then float over in the hot weather. I don't really understand the weather enough to say I know how a thunderstorm starts or doesn't start. Now, I've just gotten cold enough. I'm trying to throw a jacket on. I know. You got to live through it. I'm really camping. It's been good. But I'm going to be out here for uh, two nights, I think, is what I'm going to do, and then Tomorrow I'll, I'll cruise out and uh, I'll try and hit some of these forest service roads for a bit, drive around, do some exploring, mark a couple spots on the map as I'm uh, as I'm cruising around. I think that'll be uh, that'll be a good time. But uh, but yeah, I haven't been out here before. I think I've heard of a couple friends that have been out in this area that have done some. I think they did a couple scouting trips for a hunting trip that they were going on in the fall. I think this is an area where where one of my friends goes. I think they try and draw a, a tag for. Not this area. I think it's a drainage over from here. But I think uh, I've heard about this area a couple times from uh, from people talking about it. Um, so, yeah, it's cool. It's a cool spot. I was out taking pictures earlier, taking some photographs. I've been working mostly uh, probably for almost a year and a half now. Um, I've been working a lot with this uh, uh, 17 to 40 millimeter wide-angle Canon lens. And it's a pretty inexpensive lens. I think you can get it for like... 400 bucks, maybe a little less if you're lucky and you get it on a sale time. Sometimes in the fall as we're kind of ramping down toward um, 
for Thanksgiving, I think you can get some good deals on it. But that's yeah, it's sort of in the 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 four hundred dollar range. I think sometimes maybe it's more around five or something. But I picked it up a couple years ago when I was starting to do um, some uh, real estate photography. Or well, I was working for Airbnb for a while. Uh, where they had hired me as a photographer to go into these uh, Airbnb Plus listings and uh, get a new set of photographs. That was interesting, kind of learning about how specific they wanted all those uh, those photographs and this this really specific uh, art style and um, and you know format of it. And that was fine. It was interesting to do for a while, but uh, but what was cool is I picked up that lens to to get in and, and do that work. Um, but really after that, I've been appreciating how, how much I can do with that wide angle lens. And then, you know, 40 millimeters isn't way different than 50 millimeters. It's, it's certainly different, uh, for the effects of portraits and stuff. But when I'm out here doing landscape stuff and I'm trying to, uh, take pictures of, uh, a lot of this stuff is kind of sketch photos too, where I'm sort of going around in midday, I'm taking some photos of some different things. I want some camp photos in my truck and my, my little cooler set up in the back here, um, and uh, so all that's been good. Uh, in addition to that, the uh, the astrophotography stuff that I can do with it is pretty cool because it drops down to the 17 millimeters. Uh, it's an autofocus lens. It's a sealed lens. It's uh, it's pretty it's it's pretty good in most ways. And I've really noticed over time that I'm not as uh, as absolute of a mandate for me to be shooting at a really wide open uh, f stop. You know, if I'm, I'm shooting at a wide open aperture, almost all of my photos early on were at 1.8 or or 2.0 or 2.8 or something. And uh, I would do that really because I, I was trying to, I was really trying to get, because I didn't have very many lenses, I was really trying to get as much effect out of that bouquet, out of that soft background as I could. Um, so I was really trying to lean into that and get some photos with it. And I noticed with my camera and equipment at the time that it just, uh, it just looked better. It just did look better when it was at, you know, F1.8. I think I just had that nifty 50 Nikon uh, 50 millimeter for the longest time. That's what I did, did my early trips on and, uh, did a lot of my portfolio building stuff on that. But, um, but, uh, I've got a different 50 millimeter lens with me now. I've got it on my film camera in my bag right now, which I, I need to take out too. And I'm trying to finish a roll of, uh, Ektar film. It's been on there for a while and I've enjoyed shooting it. It's cool. It's a, it's a new Canon camera to me, at least I got it used on KEH and, uh, spent, I don't know, 35 bucks on it. 10 bucks to ship it and uh it takes a weird battery too it's one of those 90s film cameras and it has this weird it almost looks like a battery pack this it's like two it's almost like two double a's if they were a little fatter but are bonded together in this little plastic pack and then you pop that in there and uh, shoot for a little while i guess and it, it runs a meter okay so i'm uh, i'm getting by with it but uh, i've noticed the film camera stuff it's it's fun to have an awesome film camera it'd be cool to have a leica and all the lenses i wanted but uh, a lot of the time with that you know i have the, i have the good lenses i have this this new or uh like canon l glass that i get to shoot through and uh for film photos and for the variety of of image or the variety of lenses i have you know i can i can do telephoto i can do prime i can do really wide angle all with the uh, modern digital Canon lenses that have you know chips in them that that read well, that meter well, uh, that make contact with the or that send information back and forth, or at least from the lens to the camera. I think is that how it works. That works in the autofocus stuff for the digital camera. This is di this is autofocus. So yeah, it's an autofocus digital camera. It's sending information back. It's working. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's uh, it's cool. Like uh, that's something I didn't really have available to me for a long time. You know, I think when I've 
uh, probably on this podcast, if you go way back in the archives, I'm talking a lot about film with uh, a Nikon F4. You know, I mean, that just had autofocus. That was the, the first camera in like 88 to, to get autofocus, period. Um, so it's cool to have that in a more flexible way now. But uh, what I remember talking about in the past a lot was that I had like uh, limited options with glass a lot of the time. I didn't really always have the lenses that I would have preferred. And so I've kind of made a collection of that now with this Canon stuff. I've got a Canon camera, and so I can throw all those lenses on and have that same flexibility that I have with my digital set, uh, but just with this uh, this film body that I get to shoot a roll through. So I kind of save the film stuff for when it's a thing that I want. But uh, what I've noticed, though, for a little while is that uh, I miss a lot of those moments, and I end up just uh, having the the, the, the normal, you know, the regular digital camera with me with uh, a bunch of my other gear. Um, when I've been going out, I've been trying to, to kind of just take the camera with me and then I'll leave the bigger bag uh, back at the truck uh, so that I'm not really carrying as much stuff with me. I've also started carrying, um, like when I'm out here in the woods and stuff, I'm carrying a binocular harness with me, uh, which is kind of cool. You can get them in different sizes, but uh, it's sort of like if you imagine like a backpack, but uh, what they do is they strap onto the front so it's right on your chest. And uh, what you can do is fill, is put like a, a pair of binoculars in there so you can pull them out and then scout around with your binoculars, do some glassing, and then pop them back into your uh, into your harness, and then kind of carry on with whatever you want to do. But if you leave that empty without the um, without the binoculars, if you have a smaller camera rig, probably like a mirrorless or a Sony camera, you know, like one of those Sony A six thousands. Man, if you were a backpacker and you had a Sony A six thousand and this uh, this front carry. Um, binocular pack you'd be really sad that would be like all the camera bag that you'd need in fact really if i'm thinking about ever doing some uh like uh over you know some longer backpacking travel where i just have to pack everything in and weight's going to be uh something i'm more conscious of then i think that's really like the way to go as i've kind of been thinking about it a little bit is like get a get a lighter camera or i mean it'd be great to like carry like a 360 camera you know if you're going up somewhere those are, those are almost nothing as it is anyway but uh, but if you're carrying like an slr or something that you want to try and do some some more controlled photography with and you had something like a an a6000 from sony or an a7 7r3 or whatever it is um, something that size with a lens attached to it you know that could fit in one of these binocular harnesses harnesses and, and carry kind of right on your front and then oh you see something you want to take it pop that open right on your chest, pull it right up to your eye. It's got straps on it in the harness. Pull it right up to your eye. It's ready to shoot. And you can uh, take photos of it or take photos, you know, as quick as you want to. So uh, it's kind of a, a cool process if you're out hiking a lot. For what I'm doing, I have my binocular harness, but it's got binoculars in it. And uh, I've been kind of going around. I've been trying to do some bird watching stuff while I'm out here. And uh, I saw a cool hawk that was posted up who was looking at me. That's about all I've seen so far. I saw a coyote the other day. That was cool. I'll talk about that later, though. But uh, uh, but so I have those binoculars in there, and I've, I've been kind of going out on these uh, these shorter hikes and stuff, but I've been trying to uh, go around and, uh, like, just kind of watch some stuff or watch the land and, and kind of keep an eye out. But uh, I just have the camera on my longer strap on my side uh, with that uh, 17 to 40 millimeter lens, and that's worked really good. And it's been a, a pretty flexible kit for me to, to go around and take a bunch of photographs with. So... It's pretty easy, pretty lightweight to work with, and I can uh, kind of move back and forth uh, between those things strapped around my neck. You know, it's not everything just hanging around my neck with a lanyard. It's all kind of uh, put somewhere or packed in somewhere. So that's been kind of cool. Uh, but it was good going out and taking some photos tonight. I was uh, trying to get some of the 
I didn't I didn't get anything lightning in the camera though. The lightning storm kind of passed as soon as it was getting really dark enough to uh, to do like a long exposure kind of thing where I could I could sort of catch something uh, something sparking. Otherwise, you know, you gotta you gotta beat the lightning bolt with your shutter finger, and that's a pretty tricky task to do. I think that's how they do it. You know, when you get those uh, you get those like magazine photos back in the day of uh, uh, a powerful lightning bolt striking. I don't know, in the center of a road or something like that. That's what they'd show, you know, some kind of uh, power or lightning bolt. But uh, the way that they would do that stuff is I think I think it was like a, I think it was dark out, you know, or pretty dark out. And so they'd set the camera up for uh, just a cycle of long exposures and then they would just kind of let it ride, you know. So they'd have uh, a couple seconds to expose the image to whatever, you know, would work. And then they would just kind of have that rolling so that when when a bolt of lightning did strike, and it would be captured, and you could go through that collection of captured, or you know, how do I say that? When a lightning bolt would strike the ground, the camera would have already been exposing for a photograph, because it's just cycling the shutter on a four-second exposure, let's say, something like that. Um, and so, you, you know, it takes a four-second exposure, stops, processes for a second, takes a four-second exposure, stops, processes for a second. So I think that's how they did some of that stuff where they'd uh, they kind of anticipate, all right, it's been a couple of minutes, let's uh, take a frame now, and then it's just going to be an event in the future, so we don't know if it's going to happen or not. We're going to wait for this event in the future when we, boom, see a lightning bolt, and then that light then exposes the sensor or the film and the camera, and then you're left with an image that has that lightning bolt represented in the frame when you're shooting on a tripod or something like that with uh, with a, like a short cycle, long exposure. And uh, I thought that was uh, pretty cool, but uh, I didn't really get a chance to, to get all that stuff set up before the uh, the storm kind of passed me by. I did get a lot of cool handheld stuff that was uh, that's great of the, the thunderheads and stuff. And really, unfortunately, just in the, the location that I'm at, a lot of the, and I guess maybe for the better, but uh, that lightning storm didn't pass right over my head. It was uh, still a little ways away, so I could see the lightning bolts cracking through the trees kind of out in the distance more. A few that, that stretched across the sky pretty good, too. It was just, you know, a big old, uh, you know, from, from east to west, it, it was like, you know, a big old chunk of a, a bolt that just crack all the way across the sky. It was cool. Um, so I got some photos of the thunderheads, the sunset, the, uh, the big field out here. It's cool. It's a nice area. Um, but I was also thinking about uh, some of the other stuff that I want to be doing tomorrow. So I'm out in the, the Fremont National Forest. I'm going to be heading, I think, maybe south from here, and I'm going to try and explore a couple areas that are still open. Um, or I, you know, I guess it's all open public land. This is like one of, uh, or a pretty large, contiguous section of, uh, of national forest land here. And, and really, like, that's a big part of Oregon overall, right? It's like 53% public lands. It's cool, yeah. If you look at a map, you'll see the cities, and you'll see like the highways and stuff. But uh, if you have the right map, it'll show you where the BLM land is and where the, the different national forests are. And it's cool. This whole area of the Northwest is, is, uh, is just, there's a lot of public land that you get to use, and uh, there's a lot of uh, open area that you get to go to. And, um, and yeah, now that I've got uh, a, a good map of uh, outdoor, off-road uh, roads and some of the terrain and stuff with uh, some good notes, and I'm able to kind of move around and, and uh, get out to a lot more places than I had before. So that's been cool. The app that I'm using is the OnX Off-Road app. It's, uh, I think, $29.99 a year. And uh, so I 
pitched that out, picked up this app, and then you can download offline these uh, these really detailed off-road maps that are supposed to show you all the trails, you know, even just walking trails, all the roads, all of the um, like the pieces of information you'd need for kind of moving around in the backcountry. And, and really, as surprising as it is, as remote as a lot of these places are, uh, people go here, you know. It's, it's also public land that's managed by the... Um, the forest department forest forest service yeah i think a lot of the stuff's managed by the forest service the blm stuff's managed by the blm but that's why these roads are as good as they are or maintained or that's why like when trees are downed on these mountain roads you know someone has to go through at the beginning of the year and cut all those out rip them out fill in the potholes all that sort of stuff so all these areas are um are known about and you know kind of um managed in a, in a pretty significant way. In fact, I think uh, um, more so to come in the future, I think they just have announced yesterday or the day before that they've passed the Great American Outdoors Act, which I really don't know the first thing about or um, or what it does or doesn't do or what it puts in or leaves out. But uh, I think part of my understanding is that it's supposed to change some of the funding mechanisms that go into supporting the, the maintenance of these public lands that are out here uh, across the country, but really significantly out here in the western states. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. I think uh, before that it was like, well, we should spend uh, you know X amount of money, but there's a more important place for that money to go. So it wasn't like a guaranteed amount. It's sort of what I understand. So if I understand it correctly, there's like, um, I think they've said $3 billion a year of mandated funding for projects, I think here in the backcountry, BLM land, forest service land, and uh, like national wildlife refuges and stuff. So uh, pretty cool. But yeah, I think that's going to, well, maybe we'll see a change in that. I think it's supposed to better fund the operations of, of BLM and forest service people as they're going through and, uh, and trying to get these areas ready for uh, for the public to be using more regularly. So it's cool. I think it uh, it'll mean a lot uh, over the next uh, few years, or we'll, maybe we'll see how it how it kind of transforms um, some of the way that uh, these uh, these areas are managed. I think maybe it's it's more for. Well, you know, I probably shouldn't even speculate. I'm not sure at all, but it's pretty cool. I'm excited about uh, being out here and doing some camping and stuff, dealing with this uh, thunderstorm. I think it's one of those things where by the morning, you know, it's going to be. Uh, or at least, uh, well, I was looking at the weather. It should be mostly cloudy, or partly cloudy, mostly sunny tomorrow for a while. So I think that's pretty cool. I'm excited to be hanging out, doing some camping stuff, doing some podcasting. I'm in the back of my truck right now. Like I was saying, it was uh, raining earlier after the thunderstorm, so I got that canopy on my truck, and I'm nice and dry, nice and warm. Uh, it kind of feels like I'm uh, I'm just inside somewhere. So it's uh, it's a cool cool rig having the four wheel drive, having the canopy on the back, having your, your stuff and your sleeping area just kind of set up back there, and I'm ready to go. So I've been having a good time being out here, and uh, I don't know, it's been a pretty good pretty good trip so far. So I appreciate you guys checking out this uh, podcast from me. I'm gonna do a couple more podcasts while I'm out here on this camping trip, and I'll uh, I'll try and try and set up a, a little backlog of them on my website i think it'll be a, a good idea i know i kind of take big breaks and stuff from it i'm sure no one uh, no one keeps listening when it, when it is there but hey if you listen to this end of the podcast shoot me an email time for the plugs it's uh billy newman photo.com if you want to check out my website see some of my photographs check out uh, more podcasts that i've done 
or books that I've uh, tried to put together, which is uh, maybe what I'm going to try and do out here, too. I'm going to try and get some photographs for another good book. But uh, yeah, billynewmanphoto.com. You can check me out there. That's where uh, all my focus is going these days. Write me an email. There's a form there if you want to get in touch with me. And uh, always good to hear from people, I suppose. So thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Appreciate you listening. Goodbye.